going to jump right into it. I want to tag this text this morning, Christmas stories through the eyes of Revelation. My son, Dakai, who is seven, many of you may know him, uh, he is something else. Pray for me. If you see uh, any kind of bruises or anything on me, it's because of him. He always wants to fight me. I don't know why. I'm like, dude, that's not Christ-like. Would you stop hitting me? But Dakai loves for me to tell him stories at night. Now, you have to understand, he doesn't like me to tell him those nights, simple, cute, normal, bad time stories. No, 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 no. He likes me to tell him crazy, off-the-wall stories. If I start out with once upon a time, he says, Dad, stop right there. I want the crazy stories that you tell me. He wants there to be dragons and people with made-up crazy names for some odd reason. He loves vivid pictures like the ones you see at the art gallery and you stare at them for hours and you don't know what in the world have they drew. But nevertheless, he, he wants me to tell him crazy stories. And in a similar way, our text today is one of those crazy, bizarre, off-the-wall stories. It is at first glance what appears to be a crazy story with bizarre characters. Upon first looking at the text, you can only wonder, what in the world is the Bible talking about? Many of you may be thinking, every time I open up my Bible, I say that to myself. <laughs> Lord, help you. Our text today is found in the book of Revelation. Revelation, the most terrifying and avoided book in all of the Bible, in most people's opinion. Most scholars say it is the hardest book to interpret. However, it is in God's word, therefore it is good for us, and it is meant to be understood by us. But the question you may be asking yourself is, why Revelation around Christmas time? We want to talk about happy stuff. We want to talk about jolly stuff, things that make us feel good, that goes with the Christmas theme. So why Revelation? Many of us want to think of a sweet baby Jesus in the major. But why Revelation? Around this time, we are joining the nice Christmas carols as we run around shopping. Why Revelation? Revelation seems to be out of whack with Christmas. Why Revelation? Let me ask you a question that might make you consider adding Revelation to your Christmas Bible passage list. You ever wondered how heaven viewed that day when Christ was born into the world? Of course, we are familiar with the popular stories we have heard. Most of us have watched the Nativity movie or heard songs about Christmas like Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright. Round your virgin mother and child, holy infinite, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Come on, somebody. Sleep in heavenly peace. I want to sing. Matter of fact, let me put a note here. I signed up for the choir, and they scratched my name off of the list. Ruined my entire Christmas. So I'm a little bit sour up here. You guys pray for me. 
But you likely know those lyrics. They reinforce a perspective on Jesus' birth as sweet and cuddly and simple and common. And the merchandising of Christmas depend on the general population equating Christmas with sentimental family times echoing Christmas long, long, long ago. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. After all, it is the most wonderful time of the year. And oh my, some of my favorites is when Ken gets on Facebook and he's ranting about being Scrooge or James Brown talking about Santa Claus going straight to the ghetto. And I'm so glad that he stopped there because poor old me wouldn't have had anything. So I'm glad that he turned that sled around and landed right there. I'm just playing. I don't believe in Santa Claus. I don't need any emails. All right. I was just joking. I was just joking. But what if we could borrow the eyes of heaven for a day, and rewind the hands of time and peep into the manger that day, what would we see? Would it change the way we see Christmas? What actually happened that night? Well, wonder no more. We will see Christmas through the eyes of heaven this morning. And before we dive into our text, I think it is beneficial that I give you some background about the book. The book of Revelation is a written description of a vision that the Apostle John experienced while he was in exile on the island of Patmos. John was one of Jesus' followers. He was an apostle. He had personally witnessed and experienced Jesus' miracles, including his death and his resurrection and his ascension. So when John speaks, we ought to listen up. In fact, he was the last disciple to live. John emerged as a leader in the early church especially among the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. He was sent into exile for his commitment to Jesus when a horrible outbreak of violence erupted against the Christian faith. And I'd like to just pause right there to say, just because you're following Jesus does not mean that everything is going to be okay. If the apostle can suffer, you bet to believe that suffering is coming our way for those who believe in Jesus Christ. John emerged as a leader, and he went into exile for his commitment to Jesus. The Roman government decided to try to exterminate the Christian faith. And one of the ways they tried to do that was to get rid of the Christian leaders. That's what you do with any movement. You want to stop it, you got to stop the leaders first. And so John finds himself on a small island off the coast of modern-day Turkey, totally isolated from other Christians. Can you imagine to be suffering and on an island all by yourself? away from your brothers and your sisters. To make it even worse, while, while John was in exile, the people he was called to pastor were suffering, and they were dying at the hands of government persecution. John is on this island, and he is helpless and powerless to do anything to help. But there's something about God that when he gets you alone and by yourself, he's able to speak some clarity to you. It is sometimes in the quietness of the crucible that we hear the voice of the Lord clearly. One day while, and don't miss this, one day while in prayer, John experienced an incredible vision of Jesus Christ in which John sees heaven open. One of the major purposes of this vision is to help us see suffering and pain from heaven's perspective. The vision recounted in the book of Revelation also sheds light on the future. It uses symbols and images and visions to describe the end of human history and the future second coming of Jesus Christ. 
Now, you didn't get excited when I say second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it one more time. Second coming of Jesus Christ. You know that he's going to return, right? He's, he's coming back. In chapter 12 of Revelation, we experience a heavenly flashback to the first Christmas. This flashback looks back at the birth of Jesus, which probably occurred about 80 years before John had this vision. It lifts the curtain and shows John in us what the first Christmas looked like from heaven's perspective. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to camp out in verses 1 through 5. In this case, you don't know where that is. It is the last book of the Bible. It's up there with Genesis. You just ought to know where that is. All right, so we should be there quickly. Anybody not there? they like, I ain't saying nothing now. Put me out there. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, read. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in the heavens. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of the heavens and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God into his throne. All right. So we got a lot of work to do here to wrap our minds around this text and all these characters and symbols that are going on. John opens chapter 12 with saying, in a great sign. Now, we all know signs mean something, and we ought to pay close attention to when we see signs. Like when you're dating, if you see a dog sign or a gold digging sign, you ought to keep moving. You ought to keep going. That's danger. When you see those red flags in dating, you ought to move in the other direction. Now, a sign means something is occurring that points to something else. A sign is a symbol of the reality. I like the way John MacArthur puts it, if I'm driving my car and I cross the border of Illinois and enter into Indiana, I see a sign, and it says, Indiana. This is not Indiana. I don't clam on the sign and say, now I'm in Indiana. That is a symbol of the reality of the state. And when you see a sign in prophetic literature, it is something symbolic of a reality. John gives us a sign of a true reality here. John wants us to see what actually happened during Christmas through using signs. The first person to enter the stage is a woman. And all the ladies say, amen. Amen. First person to enter the stage is a woman. She's in verse 1. Drop your eyes down to verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. And a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. John, what are you talking about? All right, there's a lot of debate around who this woman is. Some say she is the nation of Israel or God's people, which is one and the same. It takes a lot to break that down, but Israel or God's people. Others say she is Eve, the mother of humanity, and a few say she is Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'm more inclined towards, in my opinion here, that she is God's people. Now, some upon first glance think she is Mary, but she is not. 
Because verse 17 is the reason I believe that she must be the church. Verse 17 reads, the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, and he stood on the sand of the sea. That description is nothing short of the people of God. The woman here is the people of God, that is, those who trust in Jesus Christ. So if you trust in Jesus Christ, you are the woman that John is talking about this morning. The Messiah comes through God's people in the Old Testament. The Messiah is born through the covenant people in the Old Testament. And as the Messiah comes, what happens? The people of God begins to spread, right? So in the Old Testament, God does what? He chooses Israel for his what? For his use in order to bring who? Jesus Christ the Messiah. He makes a promise to Abraham in the Old Testament. Through your seed, that's one, that's singular. All of the nations will be blessed. So through Israel comes the Messiah. And through the Messiah, now the... The gates open up to all the nations of the world to come into salvation through Jesus Christ. What God is making clear here is that salvation is not based on your ethnicity, but it is based on your faith in Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter if you're black or you're white or you're Asian or Hispanic. It doesn't matter. He's not just the God of the Jews. He's the God of all people. So if you're a human being, you are created in the image of God. Therefore, God is your God. And if Jesus is God, he's your God, whether you like it or not. Verse 17, it clears, it clears that up. And so we have a woman, the church, and John gives this sort of eloquent, out-of-this-world description of the apparel and the accessories she has on. And I just had to slow down. I was like, this is, this is a pretty good outfit she got on. And the verse says, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars. I said, John, are you trying to get a date here? It's almost like one of those model shows, right? Mary is rocking high heels with a French sweater with an Aquafina necklace from the island of Fiji. And you're like, what in the world are they talking about? What is the meaning behind this imagery? So imagine a woman clothed with the sun. The sun is her personal apparel. Some of you think when you get dressed that you're shining like the sun. And you may think that this text is talking about you, but I want to pause right now and tell you this has nothing to do with you. This is the woman is clothed with the sun. She has the moon as her foundation and the 12 stars as her headgear. Clothed with the sun indicates she is incredibly radiant. She is glowing. She is bright. And most scholars believe the moon would suggest dominion over the earth. And for the stars, they represent the 12 tribes of Israel. You know your Bibles well enough. God divided up Israel into 12 tribes. Now, this woman is in labor giving birth to the Messiah. Look at verse 2. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. My wife and I recently had a baby, and she would know better than me. But from the outside looking in, it didn't look pretty at all. It looked pretty, 
pretty difficult in me trying to be the loving husband that God has called me to be. I wanted to be a good, good husband. You know, that's who I am. That's what he called me to be. And so, so I, I, I enter into the, the, the laboring room with her. And, 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 and when I was 16 years old and when I was 22, I tried to give words of encouragement. Say, babe, I love you. I'm here for you. I care for you. I, whatever you need, I'm here. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And she looked at me with with the most evil eyes, and I learned that day that I just need to shut up and be quiet and say, just breathe. It's going to be all right. But labor, it is hours of intense pain. The entirety of the woman's mental energy, emotional strength, and bodily power are focused on what seems to be impossible and is nothing short of a miracle. So if the woman is God's people, and God's people are pictured as giving birth to the Messiah, what John is conveying are the trials and tribulations of God's people as they await the Messiah. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see that Israel went through several trials and tribulations before Jesus ever showed up. Like the labor pains, they felt difficulty and struggle as they awaited the Messiah. They will give birth to. And just as the coming of the baby is relief and joy to the mother, the Messiah is relief and joy to God's people. Now, I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but Jesus coming into the world ought to be one of the most exciting things we have ever heard. We see language like this in Isaiah where God's people are going through the struggle in order for the Messiah to come into manifestation. In Isaiah 26, verse 17, it says, Like a pregnant woman who withers and cries out in her pains when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. All that Israel was going through in the Old Testament was to bring about the coming of the Messiah. Now, that's something I ought to point out about God here, that God uses trials and tribulation ultimately to accomplish, it, accomplish his purpose. Everything that we go through has a design. The sovereign God is over it, orchestrating it. And out of all of the struggle and all of the pain, God was bringing about the Messiah. And a lot of people ask, why does God allow wickedness in the world? Well, God always wants to accomplish something. If I can call on Joseph for a second, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. The birth of Jesus is interpreted here as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that points to the birth of the child who brings redemption for God's people and rules over all the nations of the earth. This child is the hope of the world. Okay, so hopefully we understand the woman to be Israel or God's people and the baby to be Jesus. And we're all on the same page. Everybody's with me. You're rocking with me. You're rolling with me. Good. All right. So here's the second sign. Look at verse 3. This is when it gets crazy. In verse 3, and another sign appeared in the heavens. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head was seven diadems. In verse 9, we see clearly who this is. Look at verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now Satan is identified as a dragon. 
The term dragon fits into the category of the Hebrew language where we get the word Leviathan, a sea monster, a massive creature more awesome than a snake or a serpent, some large, ferocious, fearsome animal, vicious. The term dragon is used in the Old Testament in Psalms 91 verse 13. For an example, thou shalt tread upon the lion in the adder, the young lion in the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. That's good old King James for you. I tried to use the ESV, but it didn't have the word dragon, so I couldn't use it. I said, come here, King James. <laughs> when all else fails, KJV. <laughs> this, was, this was some awesome, fearsome, deadly, destructive, fierce creature. And in those ancient times was associated with the sea, some kind of reptile. It may well be even today that that creature still exists on the, in, in the uncharted parts, depths of the sea. Now, dragons are already scary, right? Nobody like a dragon, right? I don't like dragons. You like dragons? I don't like dragons, right? But this joker got seven heads. I was like, it was cool, John, when you said a dragon, but when you said seven heads, I got a little bit scared there. Not only that, it has ten horns total and seven diadems. Now, the diadems are to represent the arrogated power and authority Satan has. Now, we have two big elements of this Christmas story through heaven's perspective. The woman giving birth, shining like the sun, 12 stars on her head and a moon under her feet, and that is the people of God. And then we have a big red dragon with seven heads. This is not your typical Christmas story. Sounds more like a horror movie, all right? Now, the drama begins to unfold in verses 4 through 6. Here's the showdown. It's about to go down. So pay attention to verse 6. His tail swept down a third of the stars of the heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, and so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. This is not something you read to your kids. In verse 4, it talks about how his tail was so big that he swept a third of the stars out of the heavens and cast them to the earth. Now, if your tail can sweep a third of the stars down, that's a pretty big dragon. The best picture I can think of is the dragon in the Hobbit movie. I think of the line from the Hobbit where the dwarfs are at the Lonely Mountain. And they hear a rumble, and it feels like the ground beneath them are shaking, and one dwarf acts in fear. Was that an earthquake? And the wise dwarf Balin says, that, my lad, was a dragon. A dragon like that is what John pictures, and he sweeps the stars out of the sky. This is likely a picture of when Satan convinced the other angels to, 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 to turn on God, to rebel on God, to turn their back on God, and so they followed him. Now, many of you, just so you can understand that demons are nothing short of just fallen angels. They used to be angels. They traded God, and now they were thrown down to earth with Satan. John sees Satan as this fierce creature trying to do what? Look at the verse. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. And so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Okay, so let's, let's let this sink in, church. Here you have a woman ready to give birth. And at her feet, between her legs, her feet are in the stirrups. She's ready to deliver 
and there is a seven-head dragon waiting for the birth of her child to devour it. This is not a pretty picture, and it's not meant to be. It's meant to rock your world. It's meant to change the way you see Christmas. Getting Jesus here was no small task on God's behalf. I hope you're starting to see the lengths and the mountains and the valleys that your God crossed in order for your salvation to get here. He had to cross over seven-head dragons and demons and all of that to get to us today. The dark world did not want Jesus Christ to come into the world. Satan was not singing Christmas carols when Christ came into the world. The dark world was not happy. You see, church, Satan has been trying to thwart the plan of God from the beginning. Do you remember in Genesis? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you should bruise his heel. I love it. Right after the fall, God gives a prophetic word about a coming Messiah. We serve a compassionate God, a God that loves us, a God that is concerned about us. Right after they fall, he talks about his son coming into the world. Early on, we see the war on God's plan to stop the Messiah from coming very early. The dragon wants to devour the child. What does the dragon do to devour the child that was born in Bethlehem? Well, let's just think about the extraordinary events of Jesus' life. Remember King Herod? You probably don't remember him, but he was a lunatic. He was cra- I mean, Herod was crazy. Something was wrong with my man. He was pathological. Like, he's one of them dudes you don't mess with. He killed his kids, his wives, and everything else. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, this is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, killing babies in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. I pause right here because a lot of times we move past things like that. But I imagine my one-year-old daughter. Well, he wouldn't have killed my daughter, but never mind. That don't work. Um, <laughs> But anyways, one year, if, 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 if you got a child under the age of two, they would not be alive if they were in that area. Matthew tells us about the wise man from the east who showed up perhaps a year or two after Jesus' birth. First, they go to Jerusalem. Why? Where else would the king of the Jews be born? The whole city is shot at their, at their appearance. And what did they say? Where is he born, the king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. King Herod was a pathological king, and he decided to use the wise man to cut off the potential threat of Jesus taking his throne. But it doesn't matter what you do, Herod. You can't stop God's plan. He tells them to find the child, and then he himself will come and worship Jesus. So here he is with his trickery, right, with his two-faced self, with his phony self, talking about, I want to come worship Jesus. And believe me, there's a lot of people in churches around this world that act like they're worshiping the king but really can't stand the God of the Bible. The wise men go to Bethlehem. You likely know this story. They find Jesus. They worship him. They lavish him with expensive gifts. Nobody never gave me nothing like that. No, I'm just messing around. But God tells them in a dream not to go back. God also tells Joseph to leave quickly for Egypt. And I just, I don't know, I just feel bad for Joseph, right? He is, he found them a girl that he liked. 
My man's done fell in love. And she get pregnant. And she come and tell him that God did it. And then, you know, he gets a dream and he like, all right, I'm going to roll with it because I love her. I ain't going to put her out like that. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to try to divorce her nice and easy. And so God comes to him in a dream and he ends up staying with the girl. And then after that, he got people trying to kill him. He got King Herod after him. If I was that brother, I was just like, you know what? This is a little bit too much, Mary. Skirt. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but God gives Joseph a dream. He gives Joseph a dream. And I want you to really pay attention to that because here's God at, at work in the background. And oftentimes we think God is not at work, but oftentimes God is at work in the background doing and orchestrating and moving things. God is never absent out of the scene. God is always at work. And so, and so, and so, and so we see that he gives Joseph a dream. And Herod discovers that the wise man had not returned to him. And because of that, he orders every child two years and under in the whole region to be killed. This brings us back to our ruthless seven-head dragon, that Satan is no joke. He is ruthless. He is mean. He is evil. That's why they call him Beelzebub, the prince of darkness. Satan is no nice enemy. He kill babies. Now, a lot of you said, well, Dex, I thought Herod killed babies. I like the way one uh, theologian puts it. He said he asked his son. Where did you get those deep blue eyes from? And he responded to his father, God gave them to me. And in that, he is correct that God did give him those deep blue eyes. But there was something else that happens. Uh, the mother and the father came together, and their DNA were mushed together, and that caused his deep blue eyes. Which of those facts are true? Well, both of them are true. In the similar way here, who caused those two-year-old babies to die? It was both Herod and Satan. Both of them are behind the scenes to destroy these babies. But he's after who? The Messiah. And you see, a holy night was an epic battle between God and Satan. Church, it is going down. There, there he is trying to devour the child. He was trying to stop the redemption of God's people. What does he do in the wilderness to try to tempt Jesus to sin? The dragon wants the child dead or aborted. That is his mission. When Jesus is born into the world, Satan is waiting to destroy him. While shepherds were watching and angels were singing and wise men were worshiping, Satan is waiting to make his move. Now, if you really think about it, this baby had no chance. When we consider the picture John gives us, Satan has the advantage. Who's going to win this battle between a pregnant woman and a seven-headed dragon? All of her energy is being exhorted to... Bring about this child. This woman has no chance. How does a pregnant woman give birth and stop a seven-headed dragon from devouring her child? Look at verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Verse 5 is nothing short of Jesus' ascension into heaven. After, this triumphant, after his triumphant resurrection, the end of verse 5 skips from the birth of Jesus to his ascension, his return to heaven after his death and resurrection. By mentioning the birth of Jesus and then the ascension of Jesus, John is bracketing his entire life together. This is a way of presenting the life of Christ as a comprehensive work. 
Jesus was born into the world, lived the perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose again from the dead, is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's right. He died for our sins on Good Friday. He rose again from the grave on Easter Sunday and then ascended to heaven in the sight of his followers, promising to return again. Friends, Satan goes to war as a dragon, and God overcomes him by a pregnant woman. You're like, God, out of all the things you can use to beat a dragon, you choose a pregnant woman. Out of all the things in the world, why would you do that? You ain't going to ask for an Uzi or something else? Like, give me an axe, a hammer, a net, something else? Well, there we have it, the Christmas stories from heaven's view. Oh, but there is much for us to learn from heaven's perspective this morning, church. There is something that God wants his people to know about the birth of his son. And you may be asking, what does a seven-head dragon have to do with my life? You may be asking, what does a pregnant woman wrestling against a dragon have to do with my day-to-day walk? Well, I'm glad that you asked that. Well, church, we must remember our ancient foe. We need to be reminded that we face a real enemy called Satan. Satan is pictured as a snake, a lion, and a dragon in the Bible. He is deadly, and he is consistent. Today, we get to see this as an, at an epic level as it relates to the Christmas story. Big red dragon trying to destroy Christmas Day. He didn't want you to receive the gifts that the Father had purchased for you through his son, Jesus Christ. He didn't want you to receive the forgiveness of life. He didn't want you to receive, I mean, the forgiveness of sins. He didn't want you to receive eternal life. He didn't want you to receive becoming sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Satan wanted to ruin Christmas for all of us. There was a lot at stake on Christmas Day. The Bible tells us to be sober-minded and to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Understand, church, we are not in a game. We are not playing games here. There's a seven-headed dragon on your tail ready to destroy you. And many of us may come to play church and put on our pasted smiles and only claim Jesus on his B-Day. But I came to tell you that you entered into a spiritual battle. And I tell you about the sons in, 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 in the book of Acts that kept saying, the son of Jesus, we cast you out. And the demons beat them to their pants came off. It's probably the funniest story in all of the Bible. Here they go. We cast you out by the name of Jesus. And by the time they get out the house, they're in their underwear. Now, I don't know about you, but if you get into a fight and you're in your underwear, don't ask nobody that you win the fight. You lost that fight. If you leave a fight looking for your shoe, you lost that fight. Those guys got beat to their underwear. Understand, church, this is not a game. And you can play all the games you want, but your enemy came to play chess. Satan does not like the people of God and will do anything to destroy us. But thanks be to God. Y'all don't mind if I preach this morning. 
But thanks be to God that nestled and cradled in the town called Bethlehem, born unto us, was a dragon stopper. And his name is Jesus, and he is coming again. You didn't get excited when I said Jesus. It's a dragon stopper that God brought into the world to stop Say, I'm talking about the rose of Sharon. I'm talking about the morning star. I'm talking about the good shepherd. I'm talking about the Lord of lords. I'm talking about the king of kings. I'm talking about the great I am. I'm talking about the bread of heaven. I'm talking about the bread of life. I'm talking about the living water. I'm talking about the one that stopped demons and dragons and Satan was coming into the world to save us. I'm so thankful that when that seven-haired dragon thought that he had the victory, God sent someone who can stop him in his name is Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus' birth was a declaration of an all-out war against Satan. Yes, the angels were singing. Yes, the wise men were giving him gifts. However, when Jesus came into the world, it was the sign of the end of Satan. And why do you think he tried everything he could to stop him? A picture of this, like in the Matrix. Remember those agents, what were they doing? Those agents were doing everything they could to stop Neo. You know why? Because he was the one. And in the same way, Christ was and is the one. He was the long-awaited deliverer of God's people. He was God's answer to destroying the power of Satan. I like to note here, once again, that God uses a baby against a dragon. I believe there's something for you to tuck away in your pocket this morning, in, the, in your heart. I tell you this morning that God loves the short end of the stick. Church, God loves to give his enemy what seems to be the upper hand. Friends, from a human standpoint, it seems like God picks the losing strategy. It is almost as if God shows up to a high school playground and said, give me the weakest players you got and I'll, and I'll beat you with that. And many of you know in this room, and as the Bible says, that God didn't choose the great things of the world, but he chose the low things of the world. I was part of those low things of the world. He chose the garbage of this world. He chose those who shouldn't be victorious. He chose those who were tied up in their mess. He chose those who were far off. He chose those who didn't deserve it. He he chose those who shouldn't be loved. So I don't care if you're messed up, jacked up, turned up. It doesn't matter. God chose you. It is almost as if God shows up at the school playground. And he chooses those who no one else wants and say, come here and be part of my team. And now don't sit here and act like you ain't never questioned God's plan. God will do some crazy, radical, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs out of your mind kind of things. I'm talking about turn the other cheek. Really? Love my enemies. Really? God, could you choose me to do something else? Why you always got to choose the short end of the stick? Won't you just give me the job? Won't you just give me the husband? Why you got to go all the way around and through all of this stuff? I got to do it so that when I'm done, I'm the only one that gets the glory and nobody else gets the glory but me. Because here's the reality. Sometimes, church, if we were to be honest this morning, and if we were to lay our holy mass down this morning and to be honest with one another and to be real. Sometimes we get caught up 
on the dragon so much that we forget about God. And oh church, the worse the situation, the more glory he'll get. In fact, that's the story of many of us. I should have been dead. I should have lost my mind. I can't believe God will use a wretch like me. If you knew what I did last night, and you're right, you should have been dead, and you should be out of your mind, but, but God, the dragon stopper, every time Satan thinks he has a grip on one of God's children, God outsmarts him. I came to tell you, when life is at its worst, God is at his best. Our God has a PhD in making a way out of no way. If you don't believe me, ask the children of Israel when they came up to the Red Sea and Pharaoh was getting ready to trample and to destroy them. God spoke to the sea and said, stand up and make a way for my people. And Israel came out on the other side. When they went to the promised land, there were people bigger than them and better than them. But it doesn't matter when you got God on your side. doesn't matter what's against you. doesn't matter the odds stacked against you. They should have killed Jesus early on, but Jesus said it wasn't my time because he was being protected by the Father. We serve a God that is able to keep us. You see, church, Satan couldn't stop him from being born. He couldn't stop him from accomplishing redemption, therefore being exalted to the right hand of the Father as a perfect Savior. He can't stop him from being our king. He can't stop the child from being born, and he couldn't kill him. He couldn't destroy him after he arrived, and he couldn't stop him from being incarnate. He couldn't stop the child from dying or, raise, or rising again. He couldn't stop him from purchasing salvation. He couldn't stop him from delivering the death blow to death and the death blow to Satan. He couldn't stop the exaltation. He couldn't stop him from ruling with a rod of iron and the glory and righteousness over the whole universe. He cannot stop King Jesus. Well, with that being said, I don't know about you. And I don't know why you came to church this morning. Whether you came here for casual worship or you came here to sing cute, cute Christmas carols. But when I think about a God that destroys a dragon and walks out of a grave, when I think about all that he has done and all that he is, I can't help but to give him glory and to give him worship. You see, Christmas is more than singing Christmas carols. It is more than exchanging gifts. It was an epic battle between God and Satan. I want to close on this. Yet, church, that does not mean that this dragon does not still wage war against God's people. Though he has been defeated by Jesus, he is still on the loose. This dragon is still alive and well. He hates God and he hates us. I don't know about you. When somebody hate me, I keep bowing. Uh, you know, I just, I don't trust everybody, especially if you, you know, you hate me, I'm keeping this eye right here. This eye right here for the haters. I just keep one eye on you. Just like that, you bring me Christmas cookies, I'd be like, just keeping that one eye. You remember old Martin when she tried to, he thought, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But, but when he found out Gina had that uh, insurance policy against him, and she tried to give him that steak, he threw that steak to the back. Can't trust everybody. Sorry, my Martin references, they just, 
seem to surface sometimes. But in all, in all seriousness, he hates the gospel and he hates the church. He hates unity in the body. He hates Christian marriages. And he hates the Christian family. He hates Christians praying and reading their Bibles. He hates Christians evangelizing. He is a destroyer, and he continues to seek to destroy God's purpose in redeeming and restoring a lost humanity through the gospel in the church. We may do well, church, to add a giant red dragon to our nativity scene to remind us of our enemy. It would help us to recognize this dragon is in our homes. He's in our bedrooms. He's in our classrooms. He's in our families, and he is in our lives, and he is on our blocks. And in spite of Christmas and the ascension, he continues to wage war against God's people. So what should we do? Where should we run? How will we live until Christ returns? Well, this brings us back to the woman in Revelation 12. Something incredible happens to her. But to find out what, you'll need to come back next week for that. <laughs> hey, 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 if the show can do it, I can do it. All right? We ain't nothing. They got that part one, part two, especially the Marvel movies. They be messing with you, messing with my head. Like, won't y'all just go ahead and show me? I know y'all got it all figured out already. Just trying to make more money off of me. But here's what you ought to do today. Because we all know tomorrow is not promised. Put your trust in Jesus. The God-man birthed by the Virgin Mary, crucified, buried, resurrected, and seated at the right hand of God. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Friends, I tell you to trust Jesus spells joy. To reject him spells judgment. And it is in your best interest to be on the side of the dragon slayer. Because all those who are on the opposite side will be crushed just like Satan was crushed. And so today is the day. The Bible says if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you've yet to put your trust in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you this morning to put your trust in your faith in him. He is a great Savior. He will cleanse you from your sins. He will wash away all your guilt. He will unite you to the Father. He will restore a relationship with Jesus. He will give you a new life and a new heart. He'll take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh and all your troubles and all your worries and all of your heartache that you've been dealing with may not go totally away, but there is one thing you will know. It is well with my soul.